all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm Karen Brown with pathologist Dr. Allie Brown. Dr. Michelle Owens is out today. Today's show is about the health of your lungs. Cancer, pneumonia, asthma, other conditions can inhibit your ability to breathe. Our special guest is Dr. Joe Pressler, pulmonologist and assistant professor in the Department of Medicine at UMMC. Get your questions ready, get your comments ready, and call this number, 1-877-MPB-RING. 1-877-672-7464 or send an email to women at mpbonline.org and we'll start the show right after news from NPR on MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The Trump administration is asking the U.S. Supreme Court to immediately reinstate its revised travel ban executive order. NPR's Joel Rose reports lower courts have blocked the administration's temporary ban on new visas for travelers from six majority Muslim countries. In a filing late Thursday night, the Justice Department asks the Supreme Court to reinstate the executive order. The White House says the temporary travel ban is lawful and that it's needed to protect national security. But critics say it amounts to an unconstitutional Muslim ban, like the one President Trump and his advisors talked about during the campaign and after. The administration's appeal comes just a week after the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that the ban, quote, drips with religious intolerance, unquote, and kept the lower court's injunction in place. The appeal is not surprising, but the timing is unusual. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals is weighing a separate injunction against the travel ban and has yet to rule. But the Trump administration is asking the Supreme Court to step in immediately. Joel Rose, NPR News. Many of the U.S.'s allies are chastising President Trump for withdrawing from the Paris Climate Accord. Esme Nicholson reports from Berlin that German Chancellor Angela Merkel is among the European leaders expressing concern over Trump's decision. Merkel said Trump's decision was very regrettable and added that she was putting that mildly. Merkel's mood, though, was surprisingly upbeat. She said that she was touched and thrilled to see how many states and corporations, especially from the USA, still wish to pursue the goals of the Paris deal. Esme Nicholson reporting Trump has said that He's open to renegotiating the terms of the Paris Agreement to better benefit the U.S. and workers there. But critics say that is unlikely, given the length of time it took for nearly 200 nations to sign on to the 2015 Paris Climate Accord. The U.S. is coming off a slower-than-expected month in job growth. NPR's John Itzty says... The Labor Department reports the economy created 138,000 jobs in May. Surveys of economists had forecast around 185,000 jobs would be added in May. That's about the monthly job growth trend for the past year. That makes May's 138,000 increase disappointing. 
Meanwhile, job growth for March and April was revised downward significantly, leaving the average employment growth for the past three months at just around 130,000. Wages continued their sluggish growth, increasing by just two-tenths of a percent in May. The unemployment rate did drop another notch down to 4.3 percent. That drop was not driven by faster job growth, though, but rather by a loss of more than 400,000 people from the workforce. John Edstee, NPR News, Washington. The Dow is up 66 points at 21,210. You're listening to NPR News. People are expressing alarm over one gunman's ability to get past security guards at a resort in the Philippines yesterday to launch an attack that killed 35 people and ended with his suicide. Local authorities say the attack appeared to be an attempted robbery, not terrorism-related. They say the gunman placed 9mm ammunition on a gaming table that he torched, which caused bullets to shoot off and send patrons running for cover. He says many of the people hid instead of evacuating and ended up suffocating from the fire smoke. The country is on heightened alert with a standoff between troops and Islamist rebels in the southern part of the country. Defense Secretary James Mattis is in Singapore. NPR's David Wellness says the Pentagon chief's trip coincides with a joint military exercise off the Korean peninsula involving a pair of U.S. aircraft carriers. A top aide to Secretary Mattis acknowledges the maneuvers by two aircraft carriers, the Carl Vinson and Ronald Reagan, are the first in two decades. Pentagon Asia expert David Helvey spoke on the flight to Singapore. There's uh, a lot of concern in the region uh, today over... Uh, the rising uh, challenges from North Korea, the threat posed by its uh, nuclear developments, ballistic missile developments. There's concern over China's rise and its uh, assertive uh, behavior, particularly in the maritime space. Helvey said the maneuvers, which end this weekend, send a message of reassurance and resolve to allies in the region, as well as assert the United States' military presence and its capability. David Walna, NPR News, traveling with the Defense Secretary in Singapore. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Juilliard, offering online music courses for arts lovers anywhere. Courses include Music Theory 101 and Conquering Performance Anxiety. Enrollment information is at open.juilliard.edu. This is Southern Remedy for Women with Dr. Michelle Owens on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. Good morning, and thanks for joining us on Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Allie Brown. She's a pathologist. Dr. Michelle Owens is out today. Our subject is your lungs, because a lot of things happen in your lungs. The bad things are cancer and pneumonia and asthma and other conditions. The most important thing that your lungs do, well, they help you breathe. They make you breathe. You breathe through your lungs, kind of. That's deep, Karen. <laughs> so are your lungs. <laughs> anyway, our special guest today is Dr. Joe Pressler. He is a pulmonologist and assistant professor in the Department of Medicine at UMMC. Good morning. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Pressler. Good morning. You. This is your third appearance on our show. He's a regular. <laughs> I, keep are, going, I keep dipping uh, back in the well. You two are friends, though, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, I feel special. 
Yeah, Joe took good care of my dad, so I'm forever oh. indebted to him. He could punch me in the face, and I'd still love him. Oh. Would never okay. do that. Let's never not do, do that, that, especially here. Um, anyway, let's start off. We always ask, so tell us about yourself. Okay, so uh, my name's Joe Pressler. I'm completely homegrown. Uh, I grew up in the state of Mississippi, uh, down in Macomb. And Where's uh, your accent? <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting story. You don't hear it? That has no. has nothing to do with it. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm always told I don't have the, the traditional Southern accent. I was born in East Texas, uh, but but moved to Mississippi when I was about five. Four, are your five. parents from the South? Uh, they are. Every, everybody is. Oh. But I just I don't have that accent. But I, I met somebody on a beach in the Dominican Republic one time who pointed me out as being an East Texan, and it completely oh, wow. threw me off. Yeah, so that was odd. Anyway, uh, but, but grew up in Macomb um, and went to undergrad at Ole Miss and then came down to UMC for my uh, medical school training, residency, fellowship, and then have been on faculty there for uh, just finishing up Why my sixth year. Why did you year. choose pulmonology? Uh, so I chose pulmonology more for the critical care aspect. So it's a combined fellowship, pulmon, uh, pulmonary and critical care. Uh, it's a three-year fellowship. If you did just pulmonary, it would be two. And, uh, you know, my uh, my draw initially to it was for uh, the, the the people in, in critical condition, taking care of them, taking care of their families. Um, and uh, I think everybody that starts out with pulmonary critical care kind of is drawn initially to the critical care aspect and uh, kind of the high intensity um, work. And, and then either do or don't fall in love with the pulmonary part of it as well. Uh, yeah, so that's... The critical care doctors are the doctors who take care of patients who are in the ICU, essentially, right. for the kind of listener out there that doesn't know what that means. So if they're uh, in an intensive care unit, they're being cared for by doctors like Dr. Pressler. Does critical care also mean that end stage of something? Well, typically we do take care of, uh, of, of patients with end stage um, medical issues. Um, so we, we do see a lot of that. There's, there's a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of end of life discussions that have to go on in the ICU, uh, whether you know whether families are ready for it or not. It it kind of comes for uh, comes for for people when they they're least expecting it. So and and actually part of that is what drew me to it is is um, kind of communing with and um, and and helping uh, those families get through those tough times because you know not every patient can be saved and medicine is not perfect. And that uh, has to be a tough job. It is, but it's a very rewarding job. Uh, that's that's to me where I get the most um the the most reward from my job is is being with the families and, and the patients and um you know the ones that we can save is fantastic the ones that we can't uh families still need uh, love and support and encouragement and that's good to know because a lot of times we hear doctors get wrapped for not being involved like sorry and they're out the door and well it's hard it, i think human beings in general you try to stay away from difficult situations it's just a defense mechanism yeah so. i mean that, that goes back to looking at each and every person and, and not judging what you don't know and and there are some people that are drawn to that there's some people that aren't and and just because some of those doctors run out not saying that's a good thing but it doesn't mean they don't care either some people just they don't handle it just mm -hmm. like some family members don't handle it well um and that's not an excuse it's just you don't know you don't know how you're going to react until you're in that situation. Well, good. But, Thank you for clarifying. But that is that, that is exactly what uh, uh, what drew me to 
to critical care and pulmonary. We are. Let me get the phone number out, and then we're going to talk about sure. lung cancer first. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also email if you'd prefer to women at mpbonline dot org. I know you wanted you wanted to start with lung cancer today. This is the deadliest form of of lung disease. It, it is, and it's actually the the deadliest form of cancer. Uh, so. Um, when we when we talk about cancers in general, uh, the things that come to our mind, the ones that we think about, breast cancer, uh, colon cancer, prostate cancer. So those are the most common. Lung is right behind all of those. Uh, but in both men and women, lung cancer kills um, more than breast cancer and colon cancer Why? combined. Uh, so great question. Um, part of it is... Um, you're setting me up so well, and I'm failing. Yeah, so so part of it is because uh, lung cancer, it kills so much because by the time we have it diagnosed so many times, it's in a late stage of uh, uh, of activity. And, and at that point, it's not curable. Uh, we can okay. always treat and treat aggressively, but uh, the earlier that you get a diagnosis of lung cancer, the better your chances of survival. But why is Nick diagnosed? Because... There, there are obvious symptoms with lung cancer, aren't there? There are obvious symptoms at a late stage. Oh. And so that's the problem is the symptoms. So we'll, we'll start from kind of the basics. You know, people think uh, just in general, when do you know something's going on? Well, it's when you hurt or when you feel bad. Um, so to start off with that, there, there are no pain fibers in the lungs. So there are pain fibers that surround the lung tissue on the outside of the lungs and uh, in, the, in the middle of the chest but in the lung tissue itself there are no pain fibers so you don't feel anything in your lungs um, so if you have a large mass growing in your lung you're not going to feel anything until it starts to cause other problems based on the size or the location so if that mass starts to grow into uh, an important um, organ in your chest, a, a big blood vessel, or into the lining uh, of the chest wall where the pain fibers are, once it starts to invade those areas, well, that's when you'll start to feel symptoms, but that's also whenever uh, it's getting way past the, the point where you can cut it out and cure. Um, so uh, the other thing is by that time, it's usually metastasized. It's usually spread to another organ. And the further it's spread, then uh, the harder it is to treat. Um, if you had a mass, though, in your lung, wouldn't, that, wouldn't you be short of breath? Not necessarily. So the lungs, uh, the lungs are actually built with a lot of reserve. Um, uh, so, you know, we can do, for instance, some of our lung cancer patients can, uh, can have a, a drastic surgery called a pneumonectomy where basically one entire lung is cut out. And you can still survive on that other lung. Now, that's still not ideal. Uh, the problem, the real problem with that comes from that a majority, um, not saying everybody, but a majority of patients with lung cancer were smokers. And there's already been damage done to the lungs from the smoking in general. So that one lung still has to be strong enough, even with the damage done from smoking in the past, that it's still strong enough to, to do everything that we need. If someone's diagnosed that late, is there is there some way to know ahead of time that 
there could be a problem? Is there some kind of screening? Exactly. So, uh-huh. you know, there you go. So now you lead me into my screening, uh, my screening spiel. Uh, so that's exactly what colon cancer and breast cancer and uh, prostate cancer, a lot of the, the most common cancers that you think about, that's what they have. They have screening. They have mammograms for breast cancer, colonoscopies, uh, pap smears for cervical cancer. Um, through the years, we've never really had a good screening um, program or or a way to to see early stage lung cancers um, that's been proven through through data and studies until uh, about ten five to ten years ago. Uh, it's actually about two thousand seven now. Um, the study came out that showed that a low dose uh, CAT scan, so a CT scan, um, done in the right population could possibly uh, find early stages of lung cancer uh, and stages of lung cancer that are early enough that we can do something about it to lengthen somebody's life, okay? So there's lots of little caveats to it. Um, sure, can we find lung cancer? Yes, but is it uh, is it going to do anything that allows us to prolong somebody's life? Well, it depends on on the, the person that we find it in and the stage that that cancer is in. But what we like to do is find single, localized, uh, small nodules uh, before they're big and before they've spread so that we can hopefully cut them out, resect them, and then treat with any treatment if we need to on top of that that will help prolong that person's life. We need to take our first break of the show. If you'd like to call in with a question or a comment, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring 877-672-7464 or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back on Southern Remedy for Women here on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. You count on MPB News for in-depth coverage of issues that matter to you. The state's ongoing opioid epidemic. A bill to allow guns in churches. The child welfare crisis. And the best radio newscast in the state. Those are just a few of the stories behind 10 new Associated Press Awards and another Edward R. Murrow Award. For the award-winning coverage you've come to expect, count on us. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. 
And we're back on Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown. Dr. Allie Brown is here sitting in for Dr. Michelle Owens. And our guest is Dr. Joe Pressler. He is a pulmonologist from UMMC. We're talking about conditions in the lungs that are hurtful, harmful, maybe even deadly. And lung cancer would be number one. You said it is the number one cancer killer in the country? That's correct. For men and women? Both. Yeah. In fact, I wanted Dr. Pressler to discuss how we're seeing things, lung disease in general, right? More and more in women. Yeah. So, you know, I think... For our women's show? Yes, for our women's show. So I, what I would say is, as far as uh, as women go, it's, it's kind of interesting in that there is... So we talk about the fact that um, that smoking is by and far the largest risk factor to have uh, to develop lung cancer. 90% of lung cancers that are uh, diagnosed can be directly attributed to smoking. However, uh, that still leaves uh, a decent-sized population that uh, doesn't necessarily have a specific risk factor. There are other smaller risk factors. Uh, One of them is genetic, and um, that's kind of where our our treatments – uh, our research is really leading us as to uh, how can we detect these mutations, uh, g- genetic mutations in lung cells that, that make them turn into lung cancer. And interestingly, I think the, the female population is actually um, more represented in uh, this non-smoking population that develops lung cancer. If it's uh, genetic, does that mean the parent or grandparent would have had lung cancer? So sometimes, uh, sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just a gene that predisposes. Uh, but I have taken care of, uh, interestingly, and she's uh, still know her name. I, I had saw her three years ago. Dr. DeShazo actually uh, referred her to me initially. And uh, and this lady was referred for a cough and we, we found that she had uh, a lung cancer. And kind of looking through everything, she was a never smoker, so she never expected it. Her mother had uh, died from lung cancer. Her sister died from lung cancer. And um, so she's, you know, we're kind of looking at her with our genetics team at UMC as well. Uh, to to really pull and tease apart everything that we can about w- what would predispose to this, um, still a lot lot to figure out, a lot to know. We don't know everything. Yeah. So you talk about the percentages and things like that. People also think like everyone who smokes gets cancer, but it's right. very it's a low number, right? That's right. So honestly, uh, COPD and lung cancer both. Uh, when you really look at the numbers of the people that smoke and um, and the people that develop those uh, those diseases, lung cancer, the numbers are are rather small. I don't like to broadcast that too much because I well, don't want well, but, you to. You know, well, cigarette spin packs. On it cigarette say, packs say smoking will cause. It well, doesn't say can cause. Now it says will cause well, cancer. Well, we're trying well, to be more forceful in the marketing. Yeah, and honestly. it's not, a, I maybe misspoke saying small. It's a significant proportion of people will develop cancer, but you would think like that all of them would. Right. But the good news from that is if you've been a smoker for a long time, it's not a lost cause to quit. So no, some people think, well, not. I've smoked this long, I'm going to get it. That was my next question. Right. But actually, well, no, it's worth it to quit. Yeah, absolutely it is. And part of that is human nature and denial. And when we, you know, we, Why we bother? want. Exactly. Um, it's hard. It's it, There's no doubt about it. It's harder to quit. It's easier to keep doing what you're doing, even when you know it, it's harmful or could be harmful to you. And that's that's just human nature. Um, I think part of what we need to do as practitioners is understand that and not be uh, 
each person is different. You know, some, some of my patients that come in, I'm hard on them and they know I'm hard on them because I care. Some of them, you have to kind of coddle a little bit and, and, and convince them that it's the right thing. And you, um, that's part of the art of medicine, I think, is, is knowing the personalities of your patients and, and helping them. But the, the last thing you need to do is come down on them and say, you are a bad person because you smoke. Right. You will not be a good person unless you stop stigma. smoking. That's, and, and I think that stigma is exactly why we're kind of in the situation that we are in is is the fact that some people don't want to address the problem because we know that a big portion of that problem is from cigarettes and let's tobacco industry is makes a lot of money and they have um, you know they have lots of supporters that don't want to stop making that money so at the same time though, society's hard. making it harder for smokers you know, you can't go into any restaurant or bar and smoke yeah, anymore. Yeah, it's starting to be more of a weird thing play, to know, see it, someone smoking. It's starting it, to be yeah, more, like, it, it oh, really look. is. It really is. It's interesting and funny to watch either old movies, old shows, mm. or even a new show about the older times, Mad Men, and, and you walk in and everybody's smoking on an airplane. Yeah. And, you know, the airplane's full of smoke or, or, or bars. And it's uh, there's definitely, you can... There's a definite notable difference now. So we're making progress. Um, and once again, that's not to stigmatize smokers. It's it's a health. It's a health issue. It really and, is. And another cancer risk, you know, there are, smoking increases the risk of many cancers, bladder cancer in a big way, but also breast cancer and many others. So it's not just lung cancer to think about. And let's let's not even, since we're on this, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's not even uh, I'm focus. trying to redeem myself for saying, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, hey, go ahead yeah, and smoke. Not, yeah, no. So even Don't. beyond, beyond the lung cancer is just the effects that the cigarette smoke has on the entire body, the blood yes. vessels. And, and I don't think people really think about that, but it increases your risk of stroke, increases your risk of heart disease. And that's because of the damage that it does to the blood vessels. And it's we have, contracting your blood vessels? Yeah. So it... it, it um, well, it's it, a toxin. It's injuring them. Yes, it injures them. It makes them weak. Um, and so and any kind of insult to a blood vessel makes uh, the body kind of react to that injury to try and protect it. And then you can build up plaque and you can build up um, all these blockages. And so that's that's why. And when that happens, and we kind of tell our patients, Look, if you've got heart disease, then you've got disease in the rest of your body. It's not specific for the heart. So it's any you, blood vessel. It's that's any right. blood vessel. And so that's the blood vessels in your head. That means you're predisposed to, sm- uh, to stroke, um, whether that's a bleeding stroke or an ischemic stroke where you don't get blood flow to your, to your brain. So all of these things are increased with smoking, which but- is why it blows my mind. That, that um, people smoke. That, well, or that, or that we allow it. Even you know, I'm not talking about outlawing it, but what I always look at is is any new medication or product that comes on the market has to be approved by the FDA. And if you put a cigarette with the known toxins that it has and the known downstream health consequences that we know are involved with smoking, if you put that out as a new product and said, "Hey, can we sell this?" We would say, of course not. That's ridiculous. But because it's out there and because it's always been out there, they're not going to pull it off. And that's mm-hmm. such a, a, a to me, I a need, hypocritical thing to do. I need to interject to sure. the uh, phone number here. 
because we want the smokers Preach, to call. Please, <laughs> please, please, please. Um, one eight seven seven MPB ring. One eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email if you prefer. Women at mpbonline.org. You don't need to call about lung cancer. I mean, anything with the lungs. We haven't even gotten to things like pneumonia and pleurisy and emphysema. There's there are a lot of different disorders we you can said talk pleurisy. about. Pleurisy. I like that. Yeah. I never hear pleurisy anymore, but I, I know, remember. That's what like, all people say. Oh, my pleurisy. I remember what did you years just call ago, people had pleurisy. <laughs> oh, is pleurisy still a thing? It's a thing. It's, it's a, a thing. We, it's we, a we don't really. Yeah, it's a symptom. We don't really. Oh, it's right. not a condition. It's a symptom. It, it is a symptom. Exactly. Oh. It's it is an inflammation of of the that lining that I talked about that has the nerves. So that's the part of your lungs that will hurt. Is the outside lining of the lungs, but not the lung tissue them itself. So pleurisy is just kind of an inflammation and, and pain that goes along with that. I did want to talk about pneumonia. I know it's a, it's a big issue. Um, but first, we're going to go to our phones because we have a phone call from Bob, who's calling from Collins. Bob, go ahead. Hey, how y'all doing? Enjoy the program. Good, thank you. All right, this is a question. What uh, affects is consuming alcohol and how much alcohol uh, would... Uh, cause certain types of cancer and doesn't have any relation to causing uh, lung cancer. And I'm going to hang up. Listen, I got a bad connection. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. All right, Bob. So I'll speak up and and let uh, Dr. Brown get ready for her part two here because as a pathologist, she sees all of these... uh, she sees all of these cancers and and uh, kind of knows a lot of the risk factors for all of them. Specifically for lung cancer, there really hasn't ever been a specific connection that connects um, connects lung cancer with with alcohol. Um, but you know, there's really never been any studies. I will I will say this and be honest about it that you know shows that a cell is changed uh, from a normal cell to a cancer cell because of smoking itself. So a lot of this is anecdotal, and we put a lot of uh, statistics together and and data, and and you can see uh, I've got a nice chart in my office that that basically shows that uh, the incidence of new cases of lung cancer. Um, completely matches the um, the new smokers. So basically the amount of smoking that has increased in the country since uh, the start of the First World War and then increased significantly through the World Wars into uh, the early 1960s when the Surgeon General's warning came out, uh, there's a complete parallel between the smoking and lung cancer that developed, and that's where we kind of make that connection. There hasn't been, been a connection uh for for alcohol with lung cancer um you know uh alcohol i think plays a a big role clearly in liver disease and and ultimately in development of of liver cancer if that happens um head and neck cancer is a big one head and neck cancer uh, for both smoking and any kind of tobacco use uh, as well as alcohol use Uh, bladder i'm looking at Allie now. I believe bladder. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to let her uh, kind of continue with this. And then there's the combination effect of alcohol and smoking. It kind of, they, they am- the amplify. Additive, yeah. Yeah, they what amplify about the liver? Risk. Since, since liver. alcohol does affect the liver yeah, so much. Liver. I mean, uh, liver cancer in our country, the number one cause is al- alcohol consumption. Uh, elsewhere, it might be some sort of pathogens and things yeah, like that. Hepatitis but, yeah, hepatitis from from some organism. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, it's definitely liver cancer, but the head and neck cancers are the ones we see most frequently. So oral cancer, cancer of the throat... Esophagus, and that's the combination of, of cigarettes and alcohol? No, that's alcohol and oh. cigarettes. Actually, cigarettes too. But uh, if you think about cancers caused uh, by alcohol, you know, this is the lung show. But yeah, oral cancers, cancer of the esophagus. D- yeah, I didn't like think that. about esophagus and stomach, but mm-hmm. but that's uh, that's big with the alcohol as well. Because sure. it, is alcohol an irritant? Is that why it affects the it's esophagus and the stomach? Direct, it is a direct irritant. It is. And then regarding the liver, the liver is like the detoxifier of the body and the alcohol um, uh, metabolism causes release of like free radicals and things like that, 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 that damage tissues. But as far as how much can you drink before getting cancer, there is not such a thing. So it's, you know, drinking in excess and some people drink in excess and will never get any sort of cancer. So it, it's hard, hard to... Hard to quantify, but just, you know, the, the criteria that we use to diagnose alcohol abuse and things like that, like, th- are mostly social. Right, right. right. Um, but uh, th- certainly drinking in excess is, is a risk factor. We're going to take our second phone call before we take our second break. So good morning to Sean calling from Mobile. Go ahead, Sean. Hey, how are you doing today? Doing good great. All right, I have a question, and... It's, uh, unfortunately, I'm a man. I'm a truck driver. Well, don't feel bad about being a man. <laughs> hey, I'm a man, too. Let's be proud. Come on. And, you know, we're not big on addressing. When you were talking about that earlier, it was like getting home like, man, we, I, I know this is an issue. I've been smoking for 15 years. Right. And I've been wanting to quit. I tried gum. I tried the patches. Last for a little while, but as soon as I get to driving down the road, back to doing, going in the you know, things that occupy my mind, right. I go back to going to buy a cigarette because they make it so easy because everywhere you go, they sell cigarettes. Right. You know, and so I wanted to know, have any studies been done to learn about the vape? Because that seems like the alternative, like, hey, you could go to vape. It's not as bad as smoking cigarettes. And I just wanted to get your input of you have anybody just to come to you and say, Vaping is an alternative to smoking is better than cigarettes. So, you know, there are – there's lots of lots of different standpoints here. There's lots of different, different opinions on vaping. Um, I, mine kind of tend to vary some from, from some of the other uh, health professions. Um, this, is, this is my take on it, and this is what I explain to my patients. If you are using um, an e-cigarette or the vaping – with the express intent to quit smoking and knowing that you're not going to continue vaping either, that this is not um, a replacement, a temporary, permanent replacement, but just a temporary uh, process to get you out of the habit, then, then yes, I think it is acceptable to use it in that manner. And they have it from, uh, they have it where you can have basically de-escalating or, or lower doses of nicotine that you use in some of these products. And so you can maybe start with a higher dose and work to a lower dose. But please do not consider it as an a um, an acceptable replacement. Um, sure, it may be that we don't have the studies, and we don't. So the studies I talked about earlier with the, the connection between um, smoking and lung cancer and lung cancer deaths, that's data that we've collected over 
80 to 100 years now. Uh, and so we clearly don't have that kind of data for, for vaping. We do know that there are still toxins. Um, we know that anything that you put in your body that is uh, that God did not create, then it is going to cause a problem to your body. God created tobacco, Joe. Don't, no, 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 no. We grew tobacco. Come on. We, we, so what I would say is... If you feel like you can use that to your advantage with the express intent of quitting, do whatever you can because you need to quit. And it sounds like you're on the right road. Um, The one thing that I always tell my patients as well is if you do not want to quit, if your head is not completely wrapped around it and you know that it's imperative that you quit, then you're not going to be able to quit. Um, It is is a mind control thing. Uh, What we've looked at as far as uh, smoking cessation and ways to quit smoking, um, medications help the gums, the patches, um, some some pill medications. They are very good. Um, therapy and counseling helps, but the thing that has been shown to do the most is a combination of those two. And we have what's called the ACT Center, ACT. Um, there's there's one at the Jackson Medical Mall here in Jackson. And there's several uh, throughout the state. Uh, there's quit uh, smoking cessation quit hotlines that you can call. But the important thing is that you get um, that you get attention, and they can kind of help you find coping mechanisms. Uh, so that when you get that urge, you figure out something else you can do. Truck drivers have a tough time because they don't have anything else yeah. to occupy their time, and and they are our big smokers. You I, I applaud so you. Much gum. Yeah, I applaud you for actually uh, recognizing it and wanting to address it. It can be done. I promise you. Sean, we, uh, we wish you the best of luck. I hope you can quit. And thanks so much for your phone call. We're going to take a break. If you want to give us a call, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. This is Jim Dees, host of Thacker Mountain Radio, inviting you to join us every Saturday night at 7 p.m. where we'll feature the best in literature and music. We're inviting you to reach out and put your hands on the radio Saturdays at 7 p.m. Thacker Mountain Radio on MPB Think Radio. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. 
This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Allie Brown, who's taking a picture of our guest, Dr. Joe Pressler, who's taking a picture of Dr. Brown. No one's taking a picture of me. We not can, that I'm we can hurt Facebook or anything. Live if anyone wants to Facebook Live. <laughs> Are you doing that? I do want to issue one thing. Uh, actually, hepatitis C is the most common cause of liver cancer in the U.S. now. Not alcohol and consumption. And how do you get? Is it hepatitis C? Is that what you get when you eat some food? That's in- that's hepatitis A. No, oh. that's like a, a one that when they close infected. restaurants down. And- <laughs> right. <laughs> hepatitis C is a bloodborne or body fluid uh, past infection. So from uh, blood transfusions, IV drug use can be sexually transmitted. Tattoo needles, things like that. That's is it a common C. hepatitis? Uh, it's not terribly uncommon. Okay. Unfortunately, yeah, the thing unfortunately is, with hepatitis B, there's a vaccine. There really isn't one for hepatitis C. So, um, you know, um, accidents in healthcare get stuck with a needle or something. They Let me give out the phone number again. We're talking about lungs today, lung disease and oh. that sort of thing. One eight seven seven MPB ring eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also email women at mpbonline.org. We are in our last. You know, fifteen to twenty minutes. So, if you want to call now, oh, is already? the time. Yes, it is. I told you I talk too much. By the way, anybody that wants to get Karen's picture, I just took one, and <laughs> I will I will send it out to you if you uh, send me Stop your number. It. Stop it. All right. I, I want to ask you about pneumonia because a lot. It seems that um, pneumonia can be something easy that you get over, and some people die of pneumonia. You hear that often that people die. That when someone has cancer, perhaps, and they're, and they're in hospice, that it's usually pneumonia that they'll die from? What, what's going on there? What's the situation? Yeah, I, I think that's a, it's a little more difficult question to answer than you probably uh, think of intended. it as a question. Yeah, so, uh, you know, to start off, I would say that pneumonia, and I put air quotes here, but pneumonia uh, is diagnosed a lot of times when it may not even be present. In general, the word pneumonia just means uh, an abnormality of the lung. So Fluid in the lung? Well, not necessarily fluid, but just some kind of process going on in the lung. So uh, you can have pneumonias that aren't actually infectious um, as we typically tend to think about them. Um, you've heard of walking pneumonias. Uh, mm-hmm. And so your walking pneumonias are, are the pneumonias that you just, they're not quite as, um, they're not quite as toxic. They're not quite as um, harmful to the body and you don't have quite the symptoms. But your your really bad bacterial pneumonias are the ones that uh, that are serious and that can can kill you quickly if, if not taken care of. Um, a lot of times when people have flu, uh, we kind of joke around, uh, not joking, but um, in the ICU, flumonia, where you have, oh. you get a, you get the flu, the influenza virus, and that makes you more susceptible. It kind of does a little bit of damage to the lungs and makes you a little more susceptible to, um, and then an overlying bacterial pneumonia that can set up. When we hear of flu deaths, then they probably have died of pneumonia. Most likely, that's exactly what happened. The flu itself didn't do, uh, didn't do all the damage. Damage, but it's it did enough damage to let a bacterial infection set up, and that pneumonia was deadly afterwards. Back to the phones we go. Elaine calling in from past Christian. Go ahead, Elaine. Hi. Can y'all hear me? Yes, we can. Go ahead. Okay. 
I am 56 years old, and about a year and a half ago, I went to the emergency room um, for an unrelated issue, and they did a um, chest PT. And when I went back to get my records, because I was having surgery a year later, um, I found something in my chest PT that suggested there were some issues in my lungs. There were treated bud nodules and hilar adenopathy and all kinds of scary things like that. So I, I brought the report to my internist. They were doing my clearance for surgery. And they said, oh, gosh, you need a pulmonologist. So I went and had a pulmonary function test and another chest CT. And this pulmonologist diagnosed me with sarcoidosis. And he said that it was based on my PFT, but also on something I had had 25 years ago where I had a granuloma in my parotid gland and I had to have a parotidectomy. And so I just, I feel like I really don't have sarcoidosis because I'm a really um, athletic person. And he said that the only way to know for sure would be to, you know, go in and do an invasive procedure where he looked at a sample of my lung tissue. So I just wanted to get your opinion on that. Um, I... I would say that he is completely right. Um, that story is a story that we hear all the time. Um, just listening to you, so so let me first say that uh, sarcoidosis can affect um, anyone, athletic or not. Um, and a lot of times, sarcoidosis uh, is present without any symptoms whatsoever. Now, there are times when it can cause uh, significant problems. It can cause significant lung, lung problems. It can also affect other organs, uh, pretty much any organ. It can affect the liver, the skin, the eyes, the brain. Um, it can affect pretty much any organ system. However, the lungs are, are usually the most common to find it in. Um, about 99% of the time, I'm throwing that as an arbitrary number. I don't know the exact number, but uh, most of the time when it is found secondarily like yours was, not with any symptoms, uh, but just found and looking for something else, uh, it is asymptomatic and will never cause any problems. Uh, the only thing that we would recommend that you would do at that point if we suspect sarcoidosis is to get an, an annual eye exam with your ophthalmologist uh, in case it causes some problems with your vision. Um, it sounds very much like that's probably uh, what you have. And if you are asymptomatic and it fits the radiologic pattern of sarcoid, which what you described to me sounds like it does, uh, then we would be safe to say that you have that without actually pursuing any kind of biopsy. But right. no, I think you can feel safe to to say that you got good, correct information, and and um and I wouldn't be concerned. Elaine, you did thank have that you. Granuloma in the parotid gland. Exactly, I mean, that would and, really support it. And exactly, so the granuloma from a pathologist here, but the granuloma, the what we call is non necrotizing granuloma, is kind of the the pathologic um, equivalent to sarcoid. If everything else is ruled out, that's what they would look for in that lung. With lung exactly, it'd be the same thing. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Elaine. We appreciate your call and good luck. And now we're moving on. Angela calling in from Macomb. You have something to say to Sean. He was our truck driver that called in earlier who wants to quit smoking. Yes, this is Angela Dunaway from Macomb, as you said. I drove an 18-wheeler for several years, and the thing that helped me quit smoking the most and yet kept something in my mouth and my hands to fiddle with was a cinnamon toothpick. 
Ah, that's perfect. So uh, that is that is great advice. Uh, and and I didn't throw that out there, but you're right. You know, even he said it. It's it's something that you've kind of got to get your attention. There's there's habits. Part of that is smoking, but part of it is having something in your hands, having something in your mouth, having some kind that's of physical correct. stimulation, something with taste like that that you said would probably be helpful as well. Especially if you're a menthol smoker. Okay. Thank you for that, Angela. Thank you so much. That's a great tip. Thank you. Internal burst. Hmm. The only place I was able to find them at that time, I had to go online and go through a retro candy company. I (laughs) But um, they sent me like a checkbook box full, and it was like $6. Right. That's fantastic. I hope he's he's still listening. You know, one other thing that I've been told by smokers, uh, one that that quit, uh, he told me specifically what he had to do was if he got the urge or when he got the urge, he had to find some way to occupy his time and his thinking for about 15 minutes. He said if he could get through 15 minutes of not thinking about smoking and not putting a cigarette in his mouth, then the urge would pass. And so it's just, one of, once again, one of these mind control things. If you find alternatives and you can just get that urge out for that one period of time, then you can you can keep going. Great idea. Thank you so much, Angela. Great. We need to take Thank our you. last break of the show. Thank you. Uh, AJ, hang on the line. We're going to get to you as soon as we come back. If you wanted to call in, now's the time. It's your, uh, it's your last time to call in before the show ends. The number is 877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464. You can still email as well to women at mpbonline.org. We'll be back to finish up the show here on MPB. Think Radio. Standing member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. NIH Director Francis Collins joins soprano Renee Fleming on stage this weekend. It's an exploration of music, health, and science. They got the idea at a dinner party. He said, do you think that we could collaborate, put something together to amplify the work being done in this field? And he didn't hesitate. What an opportunity. I'm Robert Siegel, collaborating on Music and the Mind this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. Listen to stories and shows. Go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org.
Welcome back to our last segment of Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown. Dr. Allie Brown is here, and our guest is Dr. Joe Pressler. He's a pulmonologist. We're talking about your lungs today. And AJ calling from the Mississippi Delta. Thanks for hanging on and being patient. Uh, what's your question? Hey, I appreciate you taking my call. I, I'll make it quickly because I don't want to take time away from women on a women's show. <laughs> That's um, okay. We like men, too. <laughs> all right, good. Thank you. Ten years ago, I was at age 61, I was awakened in the middle of the night, and I was had a very, very shortness of breath. I mean, the best I could do was just take a baby breath, just a just the tiniest of breath of inhaling, just the very tiniest of breath. I made it through the night. I didn't go to an emergency room or anything. I just tried to kind of tough it out during the night. I went to a physician the next day, and he uh, said he thought I had pleurisy, inflammation, as you referred to earlier in the program. He prescribed the drug. I believe the drug was endometricin, and I got wonderful relief from that, and I, I have not experienced that occurrence again since then. Someone else has said they thought I passed a blood clot, and I just wondered, I, I know you're not dealing at arm's length, but just what your thoughts might be about that. Sure. Um, the the story, you know, you kind of have to put a lot of information together to to get exactly what happened in the story down. Endomethacin very clearly uh, is an anti-inflammatory medication that could have helped with pleurisy, so that makes sense. Um, you know, we would have to go through what are your risk factors for having pleurisy? What are your risk factors for having a blood clot? Um, and, um, you know, we, I, w- I would go through all of the different symptoms that you had, exactly how long the pain lasted, and, and once again, what your risk factors were having were for having the blood clot. Um, tough to say uh, down the road and with a little detail. Uh, I guess either one of them is, is equally possible. Um, okay. But we're glad you're healthy now. Yeah. That happened 10 years ago, AJ. It, it, well, it seems okay. interesting that if, if you did have the pleurisy or if you did have this pain and it did resolve with the endomethacin, and that's probably what was going on. But frankly, couldn't right. a blood clot cause pleurisy? Sure, sure. That's, so that's pleurisy another is a symptom. So, uh, exactly. It's not, that, it's not specific. It, you know, you could have a little resolving infection or... Exactly. Pleurisy is just the pain that occurred. And so why did the pain happen? Was it the blood clot that caused it? Would, um, would it, pleurisy result in the, just the shortness, the, just the inability to take deeper breath? It could. To really inhale? Yes, sir. It sure could. AJ, okay. thank you so much for your call. We appreciate right. it. And now on to Katie calling from Byram. Hi, Katie. Hi, how are you? Great, Listen, thank you. Would you please speak uh, of the effects of secondhand smoke on lung disease? And I'll listen to the response uh, off the, uh, uh, on air. Okay. Sure, absolutely. So that's a great point, and one reason why we're glad that there's so many um, so many new laws and, and rules uh preventing smoking in public places. Secondhand smoke absolutely can cause uh, all of the same problems uh, that uh, that directly smoking. Actually, some some more because we, we talk about the fact that uh, when somebody's smoking, it's all fil- filtered uh, at that point, and what you're breathing in is not necessarily filtered. Um, it can. Uh, it is a known risk factor for, for lung disease, including COPD and including uh, lung cancer. Not quite as high as uh, somebody who's directly smoking, 
uh, but it, it absolutely is a risk factor. Another thing that we have to think about is um, is how it affects people with asthma, uh, because asthma is defined as a reactive airway disease. The the asthma is triggered triggered by something in the environment, uh, and the airways kind of uh, they automatically contract uh, due to that stimulant uh, or that irritant. And uh, cigarette smoking or cigarette smoke itself is is definitely one of those irritants. All right. Thank you. Mary now calling in from Mobile. Mary, do you have a, a way to quit smoking? Well, it worked for me. <laughs> I was uh, one of two smoke. No, I was one of five smokers in a seven-person office. That meant there were two people who didn't. Oh, but they and hated, I, <laughs> hated you know, working there. <laughs> I was fairly close to one of them, and we were talking, and she said, you know, nobody in my family smokes. And when I go home at night, they just tell me I stink. And I thought, well, that's not fair for us to do that to her. You know, and so I quit. Wow. That's nice of you. Yeah, really. But it's well, true. I mean, you can just, it, it sticks to you. I had been being ugly earlier, <laughs> I yeah. think. I mean, I was polluting her, you know, with my whatever. Anyhow, that worked for me, so... Well, I, I commend you for that. That's, no, yeah, absolutely. that's great, Mary. And I, I think one thing to remember is every single person is different. Every single person's body responds that's to smoking true. differently. And so everybody's going to have their own way and their own method of quitting. But I think that's why some of the counseling and therapy helps is because it can bring numerous ideas to uh, how you can how you can attack that, that addiction. Uh, but everybody's different. Everybody's going to quit in their own time once they get their head wrapped around it. Um, and I never had smoked heavily. I mean, I, I wouldn't go through a pack a week. Right. But, you know, I I would do it at the office until I realized that. And then I quit. Well, Mary, so. you're, you get the blue star or the gold star of the day. Thank you so Thank much for calling you. in. Bye-bye. I think I've told this story before on there. I'm going to tell it again. Anyway, I was a smoker for many years, for 19 years. I started my freshman year of college, and I was one of those. I never wanted to quit. I enjoyed smoking. I knew it wasn't good for me, but I enjoyed smoking. I never wanted to quit. And then when I got married, which was later, I was 38 years old, um, I wanted to get pregnant even at that later age. And my doctor said, you need to quit smoking right now. You need to quit caffeine. You need to quit alcohol right now because it will help you. It will help you get pregnant. You know, if you're not having all those things in your body, and that's when I could quit smoking was because I really had a motivation because I wanted to have a child. Yeah, just like Dr. Pressler said, you you have to want it, right? right? And I was able to quit cold turkey. The first ten days were god awful, awful. I mean, I was a horrible person to everybody around <laughs> me. But after those 10 days, I was in the clear. And as you said, I know it's different for everybody else. But I have never smoked a cigarette since then. I have never wanted to smoke a cigarette since then. I'm one of those reformed smokers who just hate it. I hate to be around mm-hmm. the smell and everything else. Mm-hmm. But um, if you can get through the 10 days, maybe, maybe you can be clear after that. Sure. Give it a try. Give it a try. All right. Before we, before we end the show, I want to go back to... Um, I don't know if this is pneumonia, but fluid in the lungs. You know, mm-hmm. if you're in bed and you're bedridden, mm-hmm. isn't that a concern that you can get fluid in your lungs? Sure, and and it's it's actually fluid around the lungs. Oh. Um, so it's uh, you know we talk about pleura and plural and pleurisy and all this. So uh, fluid around the lung is called a pleural effusion, um, and it develops. So we all develop uh, or produce a little 
small amount of fluid uh, that actually lubricates um, the the lung, the outside of the chest, uh, outside of the lung and the inside of the chest wall so that the lung can move in and out of the chest wall without friction when you're breathing. And so production of that fluid is normal and it's called pleural fluid. And so people develop uh, a pleural effusion or an increase in that amount of, of fluid due to any number of different reasons um, that have to do with either an increase in the amount of production of that fluid or a decrease in the body's ability to resorb that fluid that's produced. And so somebody who's lying in bed for a long time and is bed-bound and, uh, and ill and the nutrition is poor are going to develop uh, pleural effusions just because the proteins in their body won't soak that fluid back up and put it in the the blood to be circulated again. I learned so much today. And we had great callers. Thank you for all of you who called. And Dr. Joe Pressler, of course, thank you so much for coming back. Always really interesting. Southern Remedy for Women is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. It is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by generous support from the MPB Foundation. Today's show was engineered by Kevin Farrell, our call screener, Patrick Price. For Dr. Allie Brown, I'm Karen Brown. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy for Women. And keep listening because NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio.